Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. Uh, we really, when we got the opportunity to have Pastor Danny here, for those of you who don't know the story at all, I think probably uh, going back well over 10 years, your second son uh, was diagnosed with a pretty major psychiatric and mental uh, health issue, uh, which I'm so excited to say he's completely restored from by the grace of God. But it was pretty major, I remember. And then only, I think, three years ago, for next uh, January, then your eldest son is tragically killed, uh, struck by lightning. It was a a pretty, uh, again, tragic thing to happen. And then your last year has been a journey through cancer. So I think if there's anybody I know of that we could talk to about resilience and about how do you go through some of the really tough days of life and come out the other side, not bitter, but come out better, I think it'd be Pastor Danny. So I really appreciate the fact that not only have you turned your lemons, as the old cliche goes, into lemonade, but you've allowed God to do something so brilliant and been transparent enough that other people are gaining the benefit out of your incredible pain. I cannot imagine what it must have been like for any one of those uh, first two things to have happened in your life. And so um, I'm believing tonight for every one of us here. I'm going to ask Pastor Danny to pray at the end of this session tonight for everybody here, because I would imagine lots of us have been through things in our life that perhaps still come up occasionally and just remind us of something that was broken or something that was tragic in our world. And uh, I'm really praying and trusting God. I believe that there's going to be healing for people here tonight. This is not just about information. It's not about a bunch of points. Uh, I believe right now already there's an atmosphere of the Holy Spirit to heal people. And, you know, God can heal bodies, but perhaps the most important thing He heals is souls. And so love you just to open your heart for God to do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the fact that You have never taken by surprise. We are, and that's where our sense of loss and tragedy so often comes from. And yet, God, You are the one, it says, that is our comforter. Now may the God of peace fill you with all joy and peace in believing. We thank you tonight, Lord, that you're going to help us as we dialogue together, as we chat about life and about the twists and turns. Would you help us that we can find the answers that you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I ask you my number one question, I think, because I think it's the number one question for a lot of people, is were you ever gripped by the question, why me or why? or And if you weren't, why not? And if you were, what did you do about it? Okay, well, this is not rehearsed. Um, first of all, I do want to say without any form of cliche that God is good all the time. And, uh, and in that goodness, he allows us to ask those questions. It's okay to ask those questions. He doesn't get put off by it. And yes, I did ask the Lord, why me? And there, you immediately begin to say, did I do something wrong? What happened? Especially with Michael's story, the, the middle son who broke down so severely. 
And uh, you do, you ask, was my parenting wrong? You know, did I uh, not hug him enough? Did I not love him enough uh, for him to break so severely emotionally and mentally? And yes, I did ask the question, uh, why us? But um, I want to say this right at the beginning. The Bible's never been sermon material for me. It's been my sustenance. And so as a young man of 17, 18 years of age, I started to journal. And I think if you've got nothing in the computer, you can't dial anything up, you know. And I kept putting stuff in my life that wasn't about what God was going to do for me. But for me, it was always about who he was. Because as a kid, I gave my life to Jesus because I believed he was the truth. You know, today we come to Jesus because he's going to fix this and he's going to fix that and he's going to fix that. But that wasn't the foundation of why I came to Jesus. I came to Jesus because of who he was. And I grew up in a church where I used to hear a lot about who Jesus was. And so I used to cry when I used to hear about the crucifixion and the resurrection, even as a kid. And somehow in me, I just got to absolutely believe that Jesus was who he said he was. And so I did ask the question, why? Not of God, but have I done something wrong? I would say I've never had unbelief, but I've had doubts. So I could not not believe that God was real because I'd known too much and experienced too much about who he is to say, well, that doesn't work and that's not real. But I did ask questions like, well, maybe God doesn't heal. Maybe God doesn't intervene. Maybe it's been psychosomatic and maybe the people who claim to be healed are not healed. And I started to question my theology of God restoring and healing. And the funny thing is God allows you to go through that. And so I went through um, times of just not knowing, just being in a place of, well, I'm going to preach all that I do know. That there, I'm still trying to work that out for a while. And it's like God gives you a grace for that space because you know you're not being unbelieving. You're just confused and you're full of doubt. And I went through a season, but I can honestly say that all of a sudden with Michael's brokenness and I've journaled all my life, long answers to your question, but anyway, is um, I began to see how much Jesus was attracted to brokenness. I mean, I grew up in a church where be good and God will love you. You know, in fact, can I say this? We went to the top psychiatrist in Australia. Um, uh, it cost a lot of money to get, not a Christian, to get a, a different perspective on Michael's condition. And he said, I'm not going to counsel you as a psychiatrist. I'm going to counsel you as if I was a pastor. And he goes, and I'm not a Christian. But I'm going to counsel you from the Bible. Wow. I mean, my wife and I are sitting there and go, Really? And uh, he says, the trouble with some of you Christians is that when you do good, you think God loves you. And then when you make mistakes and things go wrong, you think God doesn't like you. Wow. And he said, what happened to your son, Michael, is the thing that he believed kept him from killing himself. But the thing that he believed nearly took his life. Wow. He says, because he believed when he wrote songs and he performed, God was happy with him. But when he was broken, God was angry with him. And here's a guy telling us this. And I'm going, oh my goodness. So um, 
as I began to go through the Word of God, God began to show me all the broken people in the Bible that Jesus was attracted to. And he said, I'm attracted to your brokenness if there's openness. God is attracted to our brokenness if there's openness. When we pretend it's all okay and it's not okay, we become religious and it's not real anymore. And all of a sudden I realised Michael had picked up a theology, a belief system that God will only love me when I do good things he's going to be happy with. And you know what? I thought maybe I created that as a dad. Because coming from an Italian background, and I'm going to be totally honest with a very strict father, and I was very strict with my kids, I think I created an environment where my kids only felt loved when they did what I asked them to do and when they obeyed. And I had to go to Michael and repent myself and go, I hope I didn't help create this. But God is so, so good. And he began to show me that through brokenness, if there's openness, God is attracted to us. And if you go through the Bible, you wouldn't hang around with the people Jesus hung around with, sexually broken, mentally disturbed. And I want to say this, this morning I turned on the news, six-year-old kids in Perth and Australia thinking of taking their lives. Six, did you see that on the news this morning? And I want to tell you, we need to get some good answers for mental health issues. And so, yes, there were doubts. I did self-judge myself and question, but God doesn't leave you there. And if you stay on the journey, breakthrough does come, and we can talk about that in a moment. Amazing. I don't know if that's sort of... <laughs> Great. That's part of the story, I guess. You mentioned journaling and, and, and that sort of thing. What are some of the other things that, when you were younger, when you look back now, they were some of the foundations that created that resilience that you have had to display, but you have displayed over the last few years? Yeah. I think hanging around with the right people that believed what you believed and, and um, having relationships, even as a young age, I was in a gospel singing group and we used to get together every week and we used to pray together and read the Bible together. I think, it, I don't want to sound rep repetitive, but I think it really was not just accepting the Bible, but really believing it. And so for me... As I journaled, I believed what the Bible said. And so, but I also believed that we live on a fallen planet and stuff goes wrong. And again, I gave my life to Jesus because of eternal life, not temporal life. Uh, today, we don't speak enough about eternity. When we were growing up, we had movies about the second coming and, you know, a thief in the night. And, you know, we, we, we're going we're gonna to get raptured soon. So we got married really young in those days. I mean, you know, I was married at 18 because I wanted to try a little bit of marriage and see what it's like <laughs> before Jesus comes back, you know. And we're still here, you know. There was 666, the mark of the beast, and a guy called Barry Smith speaking about the end time. And I was, I was a little bit scared. I don't... I, it was all about heaven for me. It was like there's life after death and we've got to get ready for that. We were raised like that. Well, now it's all about now, chase your dreams, get your dreams. Yeah, and, and part of that narrative is good. But at the end of the day, early on in the piece, it came into me when I read the story of the three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace. And, you know, you know the story. Many of you know the story where... They were told to bow to a heathen king and they said, we will not bow and God will deliver us, but 
if not. So I always knew that Jesus was truth. And therefore, when things went wrong, I couldn't become a Buddhist. I mean, there isn't other alternatives. I couldn't become a Hare Krishna, you know. It was like Jesus said, I'm the only way. And so for me, I believed that as long as I lived in daily obedience, I would have crappy days. I would have bad days. And you're allowed to have bad days. To me, it wasn't the bad moments along the way. Uh, it, sorry, it wasn't a bad life. It was a, the bad moments along the way don't, don't describe your life. They don't define your life. And so I, f- I felt that uh, we used to speak on justification and sanctification uh, in those days, which just means the minute you give lo- your life to God, God sees you as perfect because he sees Jesus in you. But the reality is we've got to live that out as God restores us to that in our everyday lives, day by day by day. And I felt that um, the world can be pretty rough and can be really tough, but Jesus is still the truth. Therefore, that over... And can I say that was with me right from a young age. So I had that as a young kid. I always, I always felt eternity's real, eternity's real. I've got nowhere else to go. And so... That's how I navigated it, I guess, good relationships. And this may sound a bit funny, but I think God gave me a sense of humour because I like joking around a lot. And somehow that was part of my healing too. Because coming to Australia as a migrant and being laughed at at school all the time and you're a Dago in those days and you're the wog and, 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 and we came to this country, I was four years old when we came to Australia and there was a lot of pain in just trying to fit in. Am I Australian? Am I Italian? What am I? There was all these identity issues. And I became the joker at school, you know. And uh, I think I, a lot of comedians suffer a lot of pain and they, hide, they use, you know, joking. But I think for me, in a godly way, God allowed me to have an enjoyment of life in the midst of all the stuff that's not that good. There's always something good you can enjoy. And then when God gives you a friend like Jeff Woodward, well, then later on in life, then, you know, you're going to laugh a lot, you know. And so <laughs> that has helped more than you know. <laughs> what, uh, uh, you kind of referenced there for a minute the up and down nature of some days are better than others. Yep. And I know that over the last several years, I think one of the phrases I've heard you use a lot just in conversation with me is that you are self-counselling. Or yep. self-leading, yes. counselling yourself. And I know that wherever you've gone, you've talked about that a lot yep. uh, in other places. And there'd be people here who go, because we tend to think of counselling as where I go and pay someone uh, a lot of money and then they give me some ideas. But what you're talking about is something that we can do ourselves every day. So how yep. does that work? What's that look like for you? Or did okay. look like in yep. the tough okay. days? Okay. So yeah, yep. let, let me paint it for everyone here. On a day where you're going, I'm just feeling overwhelmed, whether it was the grief of Chris or whether it was the pain of trying to work out with Mikey or whether it was your own health issues and where you're just feeling like that is just overwhelming you that day. What does self-counselling look like? Okay, okay. I've always believed there are three voices that speak to us all the time and that is the enemy, God and your own flesh. And they speak to you. It can speak to you all through the day. And so I used to say, and I've said it here, is the place of revelation where God brings his truth into you is also the place of accusation where the other thoughts come. 
So I used to try to rebuke the thoughts that would come to me that made me feel totally bad and, 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 and life is bad and I'm not sure about what's happening here with God and all that. And, and I, you know, I realised that the more I tried to shut them out, the louder they'd get. And so what I had to learn to do is to self-counsel. And what I mean by that is I would let the voices speak. I mean, you know, I used to have voices like you're going to die before you're 50. I would have these kind of voices in my head and, and, and all sorts of stuff. And so I'd let them speak. And then because I've put stuff in there over the years in the good times, you've got to put all the right stuff in you in the good times. So you've got stuff to bring out in the tough times. Then I would pull the stuff out and speak back to that voice. And I go, no, you can't do that because you, you, you're the enemy. You can't speak that to me. And so what I've learned over the years is to have conversations with those voices. And a couple of things, Jeff, that I've done is one is speak back and then I always go and serve others so that I'm not concentrating on that thought, but I'm walking away from it and filling my mind and occupying myself with something that can help other people. Now, I've just been through 12 months of cancer treatment and six months of chemo and then other treatment. I've had many infections. And yet I made it a goal in hospital that I wouldn't make it about my pain, but that I would reach out. I've ended up praying for nurses. They've broken down and wept in my room. I've had a doctor in my room saying, how do you still believe in God when you're going through this? And ended up praying for him and saying, there's something in your room. And it's, we can still do everything that's right when that voice is still saying all those horrible things in your head. Because I'm not trying to live in denial. I just know that those things that I say back to those voices are truth I really believe. And they're not based on feelings. Those truths are based on convictions. Too many Christians live by how they feel. And some days I do not feel like a Christian. And some days I don't feel like God's there. And I don't feel any of that. But my Bible says He never leaves me or forsakes me. I had take truth and I use that truth and I speak it back to those thoughts. And then I go and get myself occupied with the things that are real. And after a while, that stuff goes away because you're occupied doing stuff that's helping other people. They say centripetal is when you go inward. And that's the first step to depression when it's all about your pain and what you're going through. And, you know, there's always something, somebody worse sitting in a cancer ward watching little kids with cancer. I can't turn on the TV now and see something about cancer without crying because I understand a part of that, but there's so many worse than me. And so I'm going to speak to those voices because there's someone worse than me that I can help even in my pain. Do you know Paul? Listen to this, Paul in Galatians chapter 4, goes to the Philippians and uh, I think it was, uh, sorry, to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 4. And he says, when I came to you and brought you the good news, I'm so glad you didn't reject me because I was sick. Sick, good news. In our hyper-faith language, they can't live together. But he says, I was sick, you didn't reject me when I brought you the good news. And you know what? I'm finding non-Christians are responding more to me in my pain than in pretending that everything's okay. There is an attraction when you have a faith in your pain that doesn't make sense in the natural, but it's sustaining you that I've led more people to Christ in the last few months, simply not because of deliverance and 
And I'm praying for that, but because in the pain, the truth is still real. And so I guess that's how in my... But you're also allowed to have a bad day where you don't... You just sit there and think about nothing. You just sit in a chair and just watch TV. You're allowed to have days like that where you think, God, this ain't good, but I haven't got the energy to try to work it out. So I'll just cook. I'll make some food. I'll go out with my friends and have some orange juice. Or I'll go and buy a new pair of shoes. And you think, I don't have to work it all out every time. You don't have to counsel yourself. Don't, don't get the picture that I'm counselling myself all the time. So sometimes all that stuff happens and you go, just forget it. I'm not even going to answer you. I'm not even going to work it out. But then you get your strength back. You're reading your Bible and then you start speaking back. And God has this way of giving you the right stuff at the right time. So you, when Chris died and you open your Bible... I didn't open my Bible for four weeks, five weeks. I didn't, I was too much grief. I didn't even feel like I wanted to pray or worship God. And God allows those spaces. I spoke about it here where you just sit. But then all of a sudden, all the stuff that I know about God started coming back. And I opened my Bible to my devotion for the day. Mysteries belong to the Lord. They're not for us to work out. But we and our children are supposed to just obey what we do know. In Deuteronomy 29, 29. Chris was 39 years of age. I said, God, I'm just going to go to Psalm 39. I go to Psalm 39. And it says, Lord, remind me how short my life will be. You know, and I'm reading this. He's 39 years old when he's died. Psalm 39 says, Lord, remind me that we're just a fleeting moment. Life is but a breath. And I read that, just start crying over it. And I go, God, I don't have to know everything, but I trust you. I trust you because you're giving me enough that I can't ignore. So I trust you. I'll hang on to what I know. And what I don't know, you're not going to hold me accountable for. I'm just going to trust you. Right. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. You mentioned uh, just before about some of the friendships and the connections that you've had and obviously they were built in the good times. How do you know the right people to talk to about... Because you don't want to yeah. bleed over everyone. Yeah. But you want to have... How do you make those good connections in the good times so that you've got that support when you're going through those moments? I think when you're going through those moments, you've got to find people that have been through those moments too. Because the general public will just say something to encourage you and it might not make sense. So, you know, I had people come up to me when Chris died. Oh, you know, God created the lightning strike to take him home because he so wanted him in heaven. Really? Now, how's that supposed to help me? And I realised they were beautiful people trying to help me, so I wasn't angry at them, but I realised how little theology they really understood about God because they hadn't spent years putting the right stuff in. So I went looking for people that had lost their kids. Reading the material of people that had to go through that journey before me. Because years ago I felt God say, don't waste your tears. Use them as a river of refreshing for others that come after you. Wow. Really? You can use your tears, don't have to waste your tears. And I go and talk to people that have lost their kids this morning. 
a lady came up to me. She goes, we lost our nephew. He was 39 years old and he got killed by a lightning strike. This morning. I just started crying straight away. Because I felt their pain. Because I know that pain. But I could also tell her how I navigated not wasting my pain and not bleeding with my pain, but blessing with my pain. And I said a couple of things and she goes, oh, that so helps me. Thank you. And I went and read a book of a guy called Nicholas Walterstorff. He's a theologian. Lost his son in a mountain climbing accident at the age of 25. And Pastor Matt Stevenson said, you might struggle getting through the Bible right now, but this is the story of someone that's been through what you've been through. And from the minute I opened the book, I felt he lived in my mind. He lived in my head. He's, he's, he's quoting what I'm feeling from the point of even looking at the dead body, going and looking at the coffin right through and, and just going through. I'm going, I felt that. I felt that. The first time the family come over without Chris, he explains he will never come to his home again. And he talked about the tears that flowed as a father, wishing he'd spent more time with him. And I'm reading the book and it grabbed me because he'd been there. And so it's not always like that. And I'm not saying this in any way, please, to just be patronising because I'm not. But Jeff and Rhonda... just there for me and when you've got friends that don't have to give you advice advice, they just sit there and they're just with you the loneliness of the pain sometimes doesn't even require counselling it just requires somebody being there sorry just being there When Chris passed away, there were people in our home every day. It was like there was a big carnival going on. It didn't even impact me because we were so busy with people coming and going. Our house was like a florist place. You could smell it when you opened the door with the thousands of flowers. And just about four weeks to the day, everybody disappeared. And I was just home by myself. I thought, everybody's gone. And can I be honest, I got a bit resentful just for a little bit that everybody could go home to their kids. They could go back to work and they could get on with their lives. But I was still stuck with my pain. And so watching somebody laugh, watching someone enjoy a relationship, this cry of that's not fair. That's not fair because I can't have that. And you had to realise it's life. And I might be going through this, but life goes on. And I realised that I had to, in that lonely place, discover a place of just trust. I remember one night, I knelt by my bed. And I said, God, I trust you. I trust you because I know so much about you to be real. And I cannot deny at the age of 11 in a little Baptist church encountering him. I can't deny the youth camp where a word was given to me that was so clear about my future. I can't deny when the call of God came to go into ministry 
and I get on the bus and the ticket, on the back of the bus ticket, it says, whatever's around the corner, God's already there. Three weeks ago, I mentioned that story in a church of my best man at my wedding, Ilianucci, is sitting in the meeting and he was blown away because he had a book at home that he sent me and I've got it here with me. In fact, if you grab my bag, I just want to quickly show you this. Thank you very much. I, I, I should listen to the Lord because when I was sitting down there, he said, take the book up. And I thought, no, I won't need that tonight. And he sends me this book, Talking Tickets. And what happened? A man in Adelaide, a multi-millionaire businessman, Christian, God said to him, I want you to write a saying that goes on the back of bus tickets, train tickets and anything that moves that people catch so that people's lives will be encouraged when they read them. And that is your purpose in life. And so they've now produced talking tickets because it's the stories of people that got on the bus or the tram or the train and read a bus ticket that said God's with you or a scripture. And for me, is God's around the corner. You know, whatever's around the corner, God's already there. People in this book that were on their way to jump off a bridge and commit suicide. And they get on a train and get a ticket. They read what's on the back. And God speaks to them through that one sentence that recently they just put the talking tickets together. 30 to 40 years. In South Australia, every bus, every tram. And I remember getting on the bus, whatever's around the corner, God's already there. And in the book, it's got a a picture with that statement saying more people have been impacted by those little sayings. And that was when I got called into the ministry. So I know all these things about God, but then he... Do you know God promised me 10 things when I first went into the ministry and they've all happened? But he never told me my son was going to die. He didn't tell me I was going to get cancer. He didn't tell me that my other son would break down because God doesn't always tell you everything. But I've said so much now, I can't even remember the question. <laughs> Let me jump in then because you're Sorry. talking about... No, 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 it's great. But you're talking about, <laughs> about what people have said to you and the fact that that yeah. message made so much difference. And we're not all here maybe going through something, but I guarantee every one of us here knows someone who is. So tell us about uh, what are the things that you wish no one ever said to you because they just were useless or worse, they were hurtful. And what are the things that you go, I remember someone said that and my goodness, that made a difference. Because all of us want to know, how do I help somebody else? You know, if someone's going through something that's, Pretty difficult because we're talking about building resilience. Yeah. How do we help people build stuff like that? Okay. Question without notice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, what was the question again? No, no, no. Sorry. <laughs> well, when I walk into church one Sunday morning and a guy comes up to me and he goes, well, the devil tried to kill one son and he didn't succeed, so he killed the other one. Someone you know. So, you know, it's like you don't expect it from people that have been in church for 20 years. And I think, how can that encourage me? And so you go to the book of Job. This has been happening for a long time. And you go to the book of Job and they did it to him. His friends hung around and the minute they opened their mouth, they should have kept their mouth shut. And so um, for me, um, 
A pastor rang me from America and said, we need to gather around and break the demons around your family that have done all this and there's a curse on your family. And I think, but I don't, can I say in the midst of all this, I still felt the favour of God? Yeah. So maybe I can answer it like this. When I got cancer, 20 minutes after the announcement, I can't explain to you what happened other than the peace that came over me. It was such an amazing piece that I said to Sharon, it's okay. And I said to God, if it's my time, I'm ready to come. But I don't want to go. And I was honest. I want to live. I feel I've got so much more to give and I want to live. But if it's my time, I trust you. The peace was overwhelming. His presence was overwhelming. And then his purpose never left my life because I didn't have a pulpit for nearly a year, but I had a platform, the hospital room, everything. So to me, the favour of God needs to be explained to people, that the favour of God is not everything going great all the time. How does the Apostle Peter get delivered from prison by an angel and James gets his head chopped off? So was Peter doing good and James doing bad? See, we think when bad things happen, it's because we've done bad or God, God is bad. God's character can never be bad. He's just all the time. And so I realise the favour of God is not what we think. The people that speak about the favour of God in the Bible died as martyrs. And we think the favour of God is a new Mercedes. The favour of God is a new house or never being sick. How does Elisha in the Bible, who prayed for sick people and they got healed, die of his last illness? He dies of his last illness. We have to know that God is sovereign, but we live on a fallen planet. And the rain falls on the just and the unjust. When Adam fell, God told Adam, it's not going to be the same. The earth is never going to be the same until there's a new heaven and there's a new earth. You will suffer. There will be pain. There'll be childbearing pain. You were going to work hard and it's going to be hard going and you're going to return to this dust. Christians that get upset when someone dies, but 170,000 people a day die. We don't get upset when someone else's child or parent dies. We just get on with our life. But the last time I checked, we all die. And when you look at it in the light of eternity, 50 years, 60 years or even 39 is not going to mean much at all in the light of eternity. So what I, what I think, if we don't have a clear conviction of biblical truth, then we shouldn't make one up. We shouldn't go to people and pull stuff out that we don't know what it means. Just be there. Yeah, good. Just love people. Yeah. Cook them a meal. And when they say we're mad at God, it's okay. Don't try to make them unmad at God because there are stages we go through. So let people go through those stages. But if you do know truth and people that know truth have helped me, Frank Damasio ringing me from America, a Bible teacher. And so he will say something, oh, that helps. That really helps. So when we know God's truth, we can speak it and help people. But when we don't, God's not going to judge us, just love. Put your arms around people, cook meals. And you know what? This is weird. But all my non-Christian friends who don't know Jesus, rocking at my house with meals, taking me out for a drive, 
And then one of them, Nick Catalano, the guy with the piano accordion, he says to me, Danny, can I come and see you? Remember we went to school with two Steves? And he mentioned the two Steves. He said both their sons have just committed suicide. They don't know each other. One 27 and the other 37. He says, can you come with me to go and comfort them, the parents? So I go with him to visit the guy I went to school that I hadn't seen for 30-something years. Walk in the house and I just put my arms around him. I didn't have to say anything because they knew I'd lost my son. They just lost theirs. Just held them. We just all cried together. And then he said, can you do an Our Father for us? <laughs> That's great. So I said, well, I'll try to do the Our Father, but I'll, can I pray from my heart too? They said, yeah, go for it. And I'm praying for them. And then I spoke to them about eternity. On the way home, Nick, my friend, who's not a Christian, he said, I went to school with you and you were my best friend. How come you never told me what you just told them the way you just told them? Friends for all those years. Too embarrassed as a growing up Christian to be too forceful with my faith. And he goes, what you just said back then, I've never heard it said like that. Can I bring my wife round to your place? And can you explain what you just said there to her? Because I've never heard it like that. I didn't preach about a gospel for now. I taught them about eternity. The world is not waiting just for all the everything to be fixed. They're just waiting for people to hug them as they're going through the pain and give them a hope that is eternal and real. And I don't even know if that answered your question. But anyway, I enjoyed telling you that. <laughs> so what, what about if, if there's people here, Pastor Danny, that don't know Jesus, that don't understand eternity and what that means? Yeah. Would you briefly share with us what you shared with your friends? Yeah, what, what are, that's great. Thank you. Um, what I shared with my friends, I can't remember it all now quite how I did it that night because it just came on the spot. But I guess for me, it's always been this. Did Jesus rise from the dead or didn't he? Because if there's no resurrection of Jesus Christ, then there's no hope for any of us. And so for me, my faith has never been on miracles and I believe in them. It's never been on what God's going to do for me tomorrow. It's on the resurrection because in 1 Corinthians, if you're new here tonight, it's a, it's a passage in the Bible where it says, if there was no resurrection, let's all get on with whatever because we just eat, drink and then we die. I mean, you know, um, there's a guy in the Bible called Solomon. He tried everything on the earth. The Bible actually says he tried everything under the sun, but he never tried anything above the sun. And he actually says it all sucks, the whole lot. He says, because I've had the women, I've had the wine, I've had the chariots, I've had everything. And there's a hole that can't be filled. I think it was Kerry Packer who used to live here in Perth. One time said, there's a black hole in my heart and I just don't know how to fill it. Really? Because Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, he died so that he can prepare for us 
and eternity with him. And he rose from the dead so that every other dead thing can rise. And because of the resurrection, I believe dead dreams can be resurrected. Dead marriages can be resurrected. So there is a work on the planet that God can still do and will do. And he does heal the sick. And I've got a guy I'm believing for now that's going through cancer. And the doctors are amazed at some of the stuff that's happening because they said three days ago he would never eat food again. He called me in. He said, can you come and pray? So I went in just the day before I came here. I went into the hospital and he's got all his Catholic relatives there. They asked me to do the Our Father and asked me how many rosaries to do. And, and I'm in the room and I start saying, look, this is just crying out to a Jesus who is real, rose from the dead. And I put my arms around the family. They all start crying in the hospital. He looks up at me and he goes, you know, last night I ate two sausages and he goes, and the doctor said, I would never eat again. Wow. He said, just keep praying. You know what's happened since losing Chris and everything I've been through? Is something inside of me says, pray for hope in everyone. Pray for miracles for everyone because God still does miracles. So my son's in heaven and that's the ultimate miracle. But there's a lot of people that are not going to go that way. There's a lot of people that are going to be healed. Three people died on my ward the night that I left to go to New Zealand to preach from the hospital. Three people of the same cancer I've had. And the doctor says to me, but something's happened in you. There's, there's a hope in you. Can you become an ambassador for the Leukaemia Foundation? Because we need someone to give us hope again. Wow. And you carry hope. And so if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, it's not religion. If you don't know Jesus, he really did die on a cross for the whole world. And he died to give us one day a world without pain or suffering. And my son's not suffering now. He's in eternity and one day we're going to be with him. Jesus rose, we can rise. And so I think this, and I'll close with this, You've got to start from eternity and then you work your way back. I said to my friend with cancer in hospital, I can't promise you that you will be healed, but I can promise you eternity. So let's get that fixed. And then I'm going to pray like heck for you to get healed. I'm going to pray like mad for you to get healed. He said, I understand that. I want that. And so if you're here tonight, can we just bow our heads in prayer? Maybe, I don't know if Pastor Jeff, yeah. just while we're just in prayer. If you're here tonight, and I really promise you, I'm not pulling your leg, I'm not, I'm not psychosomatic, I'm not trying to make things up. I really know that Jesus is real. Otherwise, I'd go mad with everything we've been through as a family. And there's people with a lot worse than us. But I have this knowing on the inside of eternity and eternal life. And maybe tonight you're not connected to God. You don't have that sense of knowing. And I would love to pray for you. And, you know, the Bible says if we believe in our heart, we open our heart up and ask God to reveal himself to us and, and we can confess with our mouth that, yes, he is Lord. He did rise from the dead. That freedom will come to us. Salvation will come to us. And I, for every head bowed in this place, while every head's bowed, if you're here tonight, I don't know all of you here, and you're not even sure about all this, but you go, man, I'd love that freedom. I'd like to have the assurance of eternity. I'd like to pray for you. And I want it to be very real for you. So while every head's bowed and eye closed, if you would like to be prayed for, to discover the real Jesus, 
I'd love you to slip up your hand wherever you are. I'll see it. You can put it down again and I'll pray. Thank you so much. God bless you. God bless you so much. Is there anybody else? Thank you. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you so much. You can put your hand down again. Thank you. Is there anyone else? I knew tonight there'd be a few people that just needed to, to discover God. You know what I'd like to do if that's okay? Thank you. God bless you. When this meeting's finished, I'm just going to stand down the front here. I'd love to give you a hug and talk to you. If you don't want a hug, I won't give you one. But if you want one, I'd love to just talk to you and answer any questions you have about the realness of that because I don't want it to be a gimmick or something that's not going to work. I want this to really work in your life. It's worked since I was 11. I'm 63 and it's still real. God, I pray for these dear people tonight. Father, become real to them like you are to the rest of us in this room that know you to be the truth. We can't promise these people that life will always be fantastic, but it will always be worth it with you in our lives. Couldn't do this without you. And Lord, I pray tonight that they leave this place knowing the reality of who you are. Father, help us gather around them and love them to discover the real you, not religion, but Jesus Christ who died and rose from the dead and promised us eternal life. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Just one last thing, if that's okay, very quickly. As it says in the book of Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I didn't feel like laughing or rejoicing when my son died. And all of a sudden I said to God, how do I rejoice always? And the word came into my head, rechoice every day. It's a choice. Rechoice in the Lord always. It's a choice to have a faith posture. It's not about singing. It's not about dancing, rejoice in the Lord. It's just saying you have a faith posture and you have to re-choose it every day. And I choose it. When my feelings don't feel it, I still choose it. And I want to leave you with that. Rechoice in the Lord. Thank you. Amazing. Thanks, Pastor John. We want to celebrate uh, the people that lifted their hand as well. And so, uh, as Pastor Danny said, he's going to be down the front uh, if you've got any questions. But what we'd love for you to do is we'd love you to, to send yes to a, a phone number, 0488 826 392. And what that does is that uh, gets, lets our team know that you said yes tonight. Uh, but for the next 30 days, we're going to send you a scripture uh, and a prayer that you can pray. It's going to come straight to your phone, 7 a.m. every day. Uh, and so you can actually learn how to read the Bible and how to pray and start that discipleship journey. And then once that finishes, you'll get invited to join other mini-series. Or if you've got any questions, you can contact our church office and our team here. They'd love to be able to help you. But we just love you to send a text to 0488 826 392. Or if you're not super phone savvy, you can just jump on our website, uh, yes.metrochurch.org.au and you can register that way as well. And the same thing, every day you'll get an email. Are sent through with the same information on there as well. So. 